0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're going to be reading from Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, We're going to pray for the McLeod family today. They are with Crew, in Boston You can be seated, and then I'll pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you are faithful even when we are forgetful. I pray, Lord, for the McLeod family. I pray for their ministry uh, at Harvard with the students. I pray, Lord, that you would enliven and expand their work. pray that you would bless their family. And I pray, Father, for students to be won over to Christ, that they would be built in their faith and that then they would be sent into the world to win, build, and send others. I pray for the service this morning, that you would bless it. Thank you for everyone who's here. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Anybody go fly their kite yesterday? Those who were not able to make it, maybe flew their kites and never returned. I'm gonna try that one day. I should try that. We have a kite, you know, 30 mile an hour winds. See, see how far I can get off the ground. Um, at this time, the ushers can come forward and take the morning's offering. If you're uh, visiting with us, uh, please. Uh, we don't want you to feel obligated to give or feel weird about the whole giving thing. We just, we would love to know how you found out about us. If you can let us know, that'd be awesome. Uh, if uh, also, if you have any questions, because at the end of the service, or not the end, of, at the end of the series. We'll have a question and answer Sunday where I will answer whatever questions uh, or try to answer whatever questions that you uh, write down that are related to this whole series on identity, you know, the Who Am I series. Also, just so you know, on the back of your handout or list, uh, try to st- any books that I think will be helpful, any points that have been made throughout the sermon series that I think are worth just remembering or. Or referring back to, or on the back of your handout, I have a bunch of books just to illustrate uh, this sermon. This whole sermon series has been really great for me. It's just, I, but it's also been a lot of work. And this sermon in particular on same-sex attraction, or like, I got. Those are just some of the books I have in my office that uh, I've been you know, referring to or using. Uh, one of the books, which we will have available next week, we'll have some, and I'll, I'll probably order some uh, as well, Is uh, features Robin, who's going to be sharing her story. Her story is included in this book. Uh, so, so pretty neat uh, book. It's really easy to read. It's about a page along with some pictures of each person's story who at one point in their lives were in the LGBTQ community and met Jesus and, and, and the implications that that had on their lives. It's titled Changed. And, and if you want to look at any of these books after the service, uh, you can. Uh, the most helpful book uh, for this, for this uh, sermon is Preston Sprinkle's book, uh, People to be Loved. He's a scholar, a New Testament scholar, uh, who, he, he was in a debate that I watched uh, that was really helpful. He, he's got a lot of stuff online that's been helpful, but this book has really been help, good for me to read. Good in the sense that it made me, or reminded me that I need to do a better job listening. I need to do a better job listening to those who I might not agree with, I need to do a better job listening to those who are hurting. And I especially need to do a better job uh, listening to those in the LGBTQ community. So for the sake of clarity, I want just, to just share a few things just so you're not lost in, in this, uh, in, during this sermon. LGBTQ is an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer or questioning. So queer questioning is the Q part of it, and then you have plus, which is I think it keeps evolving. It keeps this acronym keeps expanding, but we'll just leave it at that. This uh, this is probably one of the most difficult difficult sermons that I prepared for, because there are faces that I have that I that are in my mind. Uh, when, I, when I talk about the LGBTQ community. Um, there are people I care about that are in that community. And um, by and large, the church has not done a really great job at listening. The evangelical church, listening. Um, and have done certainly a poor job at elevating the sanctity of marriage at the expense of or at the expense of, of uh, the harm of those in the LGBTQ community, um, here, here, are some, here are some facts. I know that those in the LG BTQ community, and you know, I'm going to just I'm labeling them as sex or same sex attracted. Okay, that's it's just it's just easier for me to just to just use that phrase, same sex attracted. That's what I mean by same sex attracted. Uh, I know that there are many in that community who are hurting. The uh, suicide rate is uh, well, you know, the suicide is second li- the second leading cause among. Uh, of death among youth between the ages of 10 to 24, uh, same-sex attracted youth are three times more likely to contemplate suicide than heterosexual youth. That's real. That's not just some idea our, you know, our, our kids and youth have in their head and that this is a f- the, the, for most of them or for many of them, this is not just some kind of fad or some cool hip thing. Uh, that this is a real thing that they they are dealing with and for many of them they they don't want to deal with it. They feel trapped and they feel stuck. Uh, That uh, same-sex attracted youth who felt rejected by their family because of their perceived sexual orientation are 8.4 times as likely to have attempted suicide than those who felt accepted by their family members. Now there's a difference, I just want to point this out, I didn't point this out the, the, in the first service. There's a difference between listening and loving and, and, and then listening and affirming. Okay, There is a difference between that. You can listen, disagree in a charitable way in a way that's saturated with love and not have to come to, and not endorse a person's uh, lifestyle. That's that's something in our culture is just weird, uh, and we'll we'll address that in the in the next couple of weeks. Here's why I know that the church the church has not done a very good job at listening to those in the LGBTQ community. Fifth, or 83 percent of those of same sex attracted uh, were raised in the church. 83 percent. Of those in the LGBTQ community, from everything I've read, were raised in the church. 51% of that group have left the church. And only 3%, only 3% of those who left the church left for theological reasons. Only 3% of the 51% that left, left because they didn't agree with the theology of the church. The majority, of the, 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 the majority reason why people left is because they weren't listened to, they were felt dehumanized, they were felt ostracized, or they were driven out of the church. And I'm just going to say, that's evil. This, this should be, the church should be a place where people, regardless of where they're at in their spiritual journey, that it should be a safe place for them to come and to experience the gospel and to hear the gospel. Now, there are implications, I'll get into this um, more so in a couple of weeks, but there are implications uh, to following Jesus or to placing your faith and trust in Jesus. There are implications that, that that will have upon your lifestyle and upon your life. That's not just for those who are same sex uh, attracted, but for heterosexuals also. And so uh, I, I want to just state that from the beginning. What I do not mean by LGBTQ or same-sex attracted, what I I do not include in those categories are the 1 in 1,500 humans born every year with intersex conditions that include both anatomy of the male and female in various degrees. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to remain silent on that. I need to learn more, but the church has been mute concerning that. same-sex attraction and here's another phrase that you'll hear uh, you know you know circulated in, in our culture gender dysphoria gender dysphoria is a distr- the distress a person feels due to their perceived mismatch between their gender identity and their sex assigned at birth so they don't feel even though they have the anatomy of a male they don't feel male even though they don't Uh, even though they have the anatomy of a female, they don't feel female. That's what that means. And uh, it has caused youth and adults more pain and trauma than it has created a sense of well-being and wholeness. Here's the other thing I want to say. I said this at the beginning of the first service. Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about this in at least three weeks. Now, next week, I have a friend who's coming... He speaks all over the place. He's in Florida right now speaking at a church. His name is Brady. He's going to come, and in place of me preaching, he's going to share his story. And then I'll, have, I'll be here, and I'll have some questions for him after he's done talking. But he's going to come. Originally, this message looked much different in my brain you know, a couple weeks ago than it turned out to be. So I feel like this is part one, and in two weeks, we'll do part two. Okay, just so you, so you know. Some of you, I, my guess is just based on statistics, you're all over the spectrum in, in, in what is going on in the evangelical church. Some of you believe that people were born same-sex attracted, and others of you do not. Some of you have been affirming to a fault. Some of you have been idiots, right? I mean, like just jerks to those around you. Uh, we have, and I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind, by the way. I'm just speaking statistics, like, I'm not thinking of names. Um, you've all been very kind around me, so. Uh, and I just want to reiterate the fact that I, I need to do a better job at listening to. I used to be the idiot uh, until, until I started rubbing shoulders with those in my world who, who struggle with same sex attraction. Um, in preparing for this sermon I've listened to eight different stories of individuals who who were fully engaged and sexually active in same-sex relationships five are no longer sexually active two are now married to a person of a different gender and one still remains sexually active in in same-sex relationships just so you know that's kind of like um, this has been my world, and, um, and to answer the question of who I am when I am same-sex attracted, I really believe that you need to answer the question, what is marriage? You've got to start there. That doesn't mean that every single person needs to be married, and it doesn't mean that, that, that your experience of sex is something that is linked to your identity. In fact, I'm going to push against that. That sexual expression is, is not what it means to be a human being. That is not, not what it means to be one who bears the image of the living God. So, uh, in fact, our culture has idolized, and the church has idolized, sex. And we made sex into a God, and, and we, have, we ignored it as something that's good. So we've taken something that's good, and we've made it something ultimate. And in, in the evangelical church, it's been uh, h- our heterosexual relationships. But we also have not done a stellar job with that either. Uh, we have, uh, we have uh, minimized the sanctity of marriage as the evangelical church in the West. That's, I'll save that talk for a whole, other, a whole other Sunday. But I want to spend our time on marriage. Just what does marriage, like what does the Bible say about it? And, and I'm just going to look at two verses, really that are sandwiched in, in, the, in between Genesis uh, chapter 2. So what is marriage? Oh, um, one, one other thing, if we can go back a slide. Uh, regarding, and this is, uh, if you're wondering if I'm going to try to um, s- prove or disprove whether a person is born same-sex attracted, Uh, You need to see this. It's from the American Psychological Association. It is their official statement, okay? Because you're hearing this in schools, and you're going to hear a story in, in, in a little bit of somebody who was told all her life that she was born with same-sex attraction, like that was who she was, and there was no escaping of it. This is a secular statement from the American Psychological Association. This is the medical position on same-sex attraction. There is no consensus among scientists about the exact reasons that an individual develops a heterosexual, bisexual, gay, or lesbian orientation. Although much research has examined the possible genetic, hormonal, developmental social and cultural influences on sexual orientation, no findings, no findings have emerged that permit scientists to conclude that sexual orientation is determined by any particular factor or factors. Many think that nature and nurture both play complex roles. Most people experience little or no sense of choice about their sexual orientation. Okay, That's not Keith Miller. That's not my opinion. That's that's the, the doctors and scientists who, who, who are making their official statement. So with that being said, I think the conversation about whether a person is born same-sex attracted or chooses to be same-sex attracted, whether it's nature versus you're nurtured into, that, into that, uh, those feelings and the LGBTQ community, I think that's a secondary conversation. I, for me, I don't even think it matters when it comes to what is marriage. Because if you answer mar- what marriage is, then you get into what does it really mean to be a human being. Um, and so that's what we're going to spend our time on. What is marriage? Uh, there are a number of passages that are considered the prohibition passages that speak against same-sex attract or same-sex sexual relationships. We're not going to spend hardly any time in that this, today. Um, I'll list those later on so if, if you're taking notes. The Bible does uh, talk about same-sex attraction or uh, sexual, same-sex sexual experiences. It does mention those. We'll, uh, I'll highlight those a little later. But we're told in Genesis, we're, we're told right from the beginning why it is that we exist. And that's where we need to start. So, if, if you, how many of you have read Genesis before in the Bible? Just about all of you. If you haven't, read it. It's actually not a bad book. It's, you know, I, I, I know the author. Um, <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit, not Moses. Um, but in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is a statement. It's just a, this, this broad statement. It's kind of like if you could picture yourself in an airplane and you're, in, you're thir- 25,000 feet above sea level and you're looking down, that's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God what? He created the heavens and the earth, right? And then in verses 3 through chapter 2, verse 3, we get more details. So the plane, just picture God's plane flying closer to the ground. So now you're about 5,000 feet above sea level, and you could see the lights of the city. When, you know, if it's nighttime, you could see some of the details of the uh, of the you know the area. That's God, That's the explanation of what God did when He created, um, which is really important to, no, to note and to see. If we're going to answer the question, what does it mean to be a human being? What, who am I if I am same-sex attracted? We're informed that God created the day to separate the darkness, and there was morning and night on the first day. It's really important that morning and night were different, but they complemented one another. Then we're told that God separated the heavens and the earth on the second day, the atmosphere and the earth on the second day. And then on the third day, God separated the land from the sea. So the heavens and the earth complement one another. The land and the sea, they complement one another. They're different. And then on the fourth and the fifth day, what did God do? He created the plants and vegetation, we're told. And then, and then he created the animals, like the creatures, is what we're told. All in their kind. And then on the sixth day, what did God do? He created who? Come on, it's backyard Bible club time, right? Sunday school 101. Mankind, right? That's on the sixth day. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, let's read this together in case this is new to you. Uh, so, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so, so you, you have this interesting display of God's creation of diversity and unity. And the climax of his creation is the creation of man. In the form of male and female, he created them. Uh, the same but yet different in some, in some very profound ways. If you uh, have been a part of the Missio Day course that I teach here, I, I think I've done it, taught it three times, uh, we spend at least at least an hour and a half on Genesis 1 and 2. I think we actually spend maybe even more than that but one of the things that I unpack in that in that course is that when Adam and Eve were created, they were, their job description was threefold, or their their uh, their purpose was threefold. One that they existed to to know and worship God. And in fact, we're told that they fellowshiped with God in the cool of the day, with you know, in the garden. They saw God face to face, and then the other thing is, is that they were uh, told to do what? Who are they to fill the earth with? People like themselves. In the class, I tell you, I I, I point out that this is the first statement about discipleship. To fill the earth with Yahweh worshipers, people like yourself who worship God. That's what they were told to do. And then the third thing that they were told to do, something that the church is also Gotten, gotten, has not done a stellar job uh, on, and that is creation care. Take care of this planet. Be good stewards of it. So, worship God. Worship and love God with all your heart. Second, Adam and Eve, love your neighbor as yourself. Third, uh, take care of this earth and manage it. So that's chapter one. So, so, so you're you're about 5,000 feet above sea level, and you can see the lights. You can see all the deep, some of the, many of the details of the land. And then when you take the plane in for landing, that's Genesis chapter two, verses four through verse 25, where you're given uh, giving, uh, details about about these two human beings and how Eve came to be. Uh, and that's what I want to focus our time on this this morning. In chapter 2, verse 18, God said this, It is not good that man should be what? Alone. It's not good for him to be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now, I don't know how many weeks ago I talked about singleness. Who am I when I am alone? And I explained to you that to be a human being or to experience and to thrive as a human does not mean you need to be married does not need, mean that you need to be sexually active. But we were made for community. And, uh, and so visit that sermon. You can check it out online if you wonder. Uh, you can actually, I think the manuscript is probably on there also. You could read it. But there's some interesting language that's used here in verse 18 that is so important. It is uh, uh, for scholars on the left Theological scholars on the left and theological scholars on the right. And what I mean by left, those who say um, there's no issue here, that you, know, you can be married to whoever you want to be married, regardless of, of sex. And then those on the right who say, no, the Bible's pretty clear, that there's only one, the, the, the two people when they come together need to be two different genders. And God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That's the ESV. The ESV uses the word fit. The NIV uses the word suitable. I will, find, I will make for him a helper that is suitable for him. Uh, the word that's used to describe uh, a helper, um, or to this type of helper that God was going to create for Adam, was somebody like him. Somebody would be suitable for him. The word that's used, the Hebrew word that's used, and I—I I tell them telling the first service, I hated Hebrew when I was in seminary. I just—it just—it it gave me all kinds of angst. You know how many times I, I took Hebrew? Now I did really well in seminary. Like I—I did—I got an academic scholarship. It was great, but there was one class that I just lost sleep over. My wife will tell you I took it three times. It was Hebrew. And you know why I took it three times? The first time, I'm like, this is not going to do well for my GPA. Uh, so I dropped it. And at the expense of losing money. And then the second time, like, this, I got to find a reason to drop it again. because And the third time, I barely scraped by with a C. I- 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 it's God's language, but not mine. Um, <laughs> I did much better with Greek. I, I liked Greek, but. Hebrew, oh my goodness. So I will never try to learn Hebrew. I'm just letting you know. There are language helps that help me with that. Uh, but uh there is a Hebrew word and that is really important. It's a compound word, and it's the word that the ESV translated fit and it's the word that the NI it's the same word the NIV translated suitable. The word is this. Now I don't normally get into the original language, but this is so vital. This is so important. The Hebrew word is the word uh, kenegdo, kenegdo. It's a compound word. Uh, the ke, the K, the "k" sound means like. And then the neged the, uh, kind of sounds like what it means opposite, uh, different. That it, it means like different. That sounds kind of a, con- a contradictory term, right? It's, that's why it's so hard to translate it into English. But it wasn't so hard for the Jews who understood the word. It, uh, that, that God would make uh, somebody for Adam who would help him as he worshipped Yahweh, managed the, and man, loved his neighbors by filling the earth with Yahweh worshipers and, 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 and managing the garden, that this person would be like him but different. And then when God created, formed Eve out of his side, literally out of his side, uh, he said, uh, w- <laughs> "I'm going to get cheesy." He said, "Whoa, man, uh, she's awesome." Not really. He didn't say that. But she, I've shared. Yeah, I know it's corny. Um, but he's, he said, "This is woman, <laughs> uh, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh." Preston Sprinkle, who who's a scholar and a theologian who has been so helpful for me in just working through my own thoughts on this, uh, wrote in his book uh, something I thought was worth sharing with you. And he comments on this verse in Genesis chapter 2. He said, If it were simply Eve's humanness that made her a helper, then the word K, which would like, would be have been just fine. He would have just left fine or or like. He wouldn't have used a a compound word. The verse would then read, I will make a helper like him. But to make the point that Adam needed not just another human, but a different sort of human, a female, God used the word kinegdo. The word potentially conveys both similarity okay, and dissimilarity, neged. Eve is a human and not an animal, which is why she is like Adam. She's created in the image of God, just like Adam. But she's also female and not a male, which is why she is different than Adam, or opposite him. Not less than him. Not, not that Adam wasn't like the, the, the better human. Uh, they're both equal. They're both equal. Created in the image of, of God. And this is this is important. The, the whole point is what made Eve different than Adam were her organs and her, and her uh, the way she was wired you know, and her DNA. The, uh, I, uh, you know, our life group. If you're not plugged into a life group, you need to be. Go, you know, after church, go out there and, and, and find a life group to get plugged into. But in our life group, uh, our life group has become the sounding board for anything I'm going to preach. So, yeah, I just find it helpful to Think out loud, and so we're talking about this kind of what I, Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen. This Hebrew word that's only used twice in the Old Testament, only twice, purposefully and deliberately. And I asked the question. It was a rhetorical question. I, I, I had health class in high school. I I know what the difference is between male and female. But I just asked, so what's the difference between male and female? And our group, I think, were a little perplexed. Should we answer this literally or, or not? And then somebody in the life group said, it's kind of like Legos. And uh, I'm like, yes, it's kind of like Legos. Well, male and female are kind of like Legos. Um, I thought that was funny. But that is the point of, uh, uh, with this Hebrew word that's used here. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, could have used any word. He could have used K in the Hebrew, but he used this compound word to describe what marriage was or is. And this is the same view of marriage that uh, has been shared for for 2,000 years globally. Uh, And that is this, that both partners must be human. We have laws, right, to protect that, right? Like, it is illegal. Bestuality is illegal. And now if we have kids in the room, uh, I don't know if we do, but you're going to go home and ask mom, what's that? Um, or dad. Both partners. Dad might say, go ask your mom. Or, or mom's going to ask, go ask your dad. Uh, both partners must be human. Both partners uh, must come from different families. That's why incest is, is you know, we have laws against incest. And uh, both partners display sexual difference. I can guarantee you 5 to 10 years, maybe 15 years from now, uh, our laws will no longer uh, uh, prohibit partners of the same family or partners um, who feel like they are suited for something other than a human. And, um, and this is so pivotal, because at the at the the heart of this whole conversation is what does it mean to be a human being? That's at the heart of it. Uh, What does it mean to be human? And uh, based on who you're attracted to or what you feel, that defines you as a human being. And the Bible says, no, this is not what defines you as a human being. What defines you as a human being is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of the God of all creation. Uh, David White, in his book, God, You, and Sex, another great book I recommend uh, to you. It's not deal, it doesn't deal with same-sex attraction. It deals with just with sexuality, like with, with the gift of sex, but from a theological point of view. But he says this about the same verse in Genesis chapter 2. God's intention at creation was complementary Uh, partners, uniquely crafted to be fitted to one another. Although this applies to physical sexual differentiation, this fittedness transcends our physicality. The unique complementarity of male and female is further expressed through the emotional and spiritual oneness fostered in marriage. But let me stress again, that is not what defines you as a human being, though. What defines us as a human being is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And if you're wondering, because uh, I've, read, I've, I've read just about everything, it seems like, um, in my brain, uh, it, it, there are some who say, well, the Old Testament spoke really strongly against s- the, uh, same-sex uh, sexual expression, spoke really strongly against it, but that was the Old Testament. We have the New Testament, and, and Jesus really didn't say anything about same-sex attraction. Well, he did indirectly. He, uh, Preston Sp- uh, Sprinkle said that this verse uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, uh, verse 18 and 20, is like the, the John three sixteen of marriage in all of the Bible. It's cited uh, and, and, and referred to in the Old Testament and it's cited by Jesus when he was asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I talked about that um, when we addressed singleness and and uh, his answer was, go back to Genesis. What does it say? That the only legitimate reason, and I know this is going to rub against the grain of some of you, um, but the only le- legitimate reason Jesus said for divorce is if the other partner breaks covenant by committing adultery. And I got a, I got a note last week, and I, I felt the pain of it when I read it. It said, well, you know, you... You referred to divorce as being evil, which I said uh, divorce is an, an evil that was not meant for, our, for the human experience. In certain cases, it's necessary. But um, she said, my husband beat me, physically beat me, and the only way out of it was through divorce. Well, I'll talk about that. I hope to address that in the question and answer time. But Jesus said the, legi- the only legitimate reason for divorce it was that reason? Because he was speaking to a culture in that day that that celebrated divorce, kind of like our, our culture. So Jesus talked about marriage. Um, here are the here are the prohibition verses. If you want to write them down and look them up, because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about them other than just re- let you know what they are. The prohibition passages that say in every case that are used in the Bible, every case that the Bible refers to same sex sex you know uh, the sexual expression in a in a same sex relationship it always condemns it or forbids it every single time okay in the old testament and new testament some christians on the far you know on on, on the far right but don't know why they say homose- why homosexuality is wrong will say it's all over the bible it's not all over the bible there's like f- five or six passages in the bible that Really talk about it, but they're, they're there in the Bible, and you need to know what they are. So, Leviticus chapter 18 is uh, verse 22 is one passage, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, is another passage. If you're taking notes, Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27 is another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, is another passage. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it's another passage. So here we go, ready? I've only got two questions that have been submitted for the question and answer Sunday. So uh, go home, read those, get really perplexed over them, and write as many questions as you want, and I'll talk about it then. So that's if you really want me to address any of those passages. Another important thing I want to point out before I try to offer you some pastoral um, hope is that uh, for... Two thousand years. Those with a Judeo-Christian worldview—that is, those who are Jewish who believe the Old Testament to be the word of God, and those who are who espouse to be Christian who believe the Old Testament, and New Testament, to be the word of God—have universally and globally believed, historically for two thousand years, that marriage was between a male and a female. Period. In two weeks. I'll talk more about the whole, so who am I when I'm same-sex attracted. Here's what I want to conclude with, and then Robin's going to come up and share her story. Um, We were made for community. We were made uh, fearfully and wonderfully in the image of God. And what makes you you is not any form of sexual expression. Human flourishing is not predicated on a sexual experience or intimacy or sexual intimacy with another human being. Our culture will say that's how you experience human flourishing. The Bible does not teach that. That is not where human flourishing is, is experienced. You know where human flourishing is experienced? Through a personal and intimate relationship with the God whose image you bear. Human um, Human flourishing is found in that. Uh, And here's what I want you to hear also. What makes you you is not who you're attracted to, regardless if it is with someone of the opposite sex or the same sex. What makes you you is that you bear the image of God. You are not less than a person, and you are not more than a person. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Some of you need to hear that. And I, I want you to hear this from me because I've been guilty of this in my past. Like I said stupid stuff when I was a young Christian, like, well, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You know, like dumb stuff that does nothing for the kingdom. Um, what I want you to hear is that, that the church's role in dehumanizing Anybody who's struggling with same-sex attraction, I am sorry. I am really sorry. And, uh, and part of, part of the, the evil in that is also how we in the evangelical church have, have desanctified marriage. That is an equal, maybe even a more gross sin, by the way. That's a whole other sermon. Um, what makes you you is that you were formed and knitted and crafted by the God of the universe while in the womb of your mother. Your personality and all, your, all that, that stuff that is you is fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of all creation you know, whatever it is, you know, you love to dance. Well, that's part of what God wired into you, right? Or, or cycling, you know, that's part of, like, we're all different and we're, we're complex creatures created in the image of God that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in His image. Your identity is not found in anything other than that, period. Um, it's found in what it means to be a human and, and and so regardless of what the culture says or regardless of what you've been told you bear the image of the living God I can't hammer that uh, I can't talk about that enough but but for the sake of time I'm going to quit So here's what I want you to hear and Robin's going to come up and share her story Here's what I want you to hear is that God loves you, you know, If you have family and friends in the LGBTQ community um, that God loves you that you're Fearfully and wonderfully made in His image, and He loves you. There's a passage that, Robin, you can come up. There's a passage that I want you to hear. If you didn't hear anything else, I want you to hear this, and that is um, John, First John, chapter four, nine through eleven. I won't have the words on the screen. I should have put them on there, so you can just write it down. First John, chapter four, verses nine through eleven, and I would, this is why I want you to hear. And it's, this oozes from every page in the Bible. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Yeah, we, we need to do a better job loving one another. And, um, and next week, and the week after that, we'll kind of unpack that more. But for the sake of time, and, and I want you to hear Robin's story, because um, I feel like we need to hear her story.
2: Hi. My name is Robin Goodspeed. I'm a born-again Christian, ex-lesbian, ex-atheist, freed from my horrible, sinful life by the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ. I lived most of my adult life as a lesbian atheist. I came from a middle-class family in the Midwest with a working dad, a stay-at-home mom, and younger siblings. I went to school and attended church. As a child, I was sexually molested by someone outside the family without the knowledge of my parents. As a result, I began to have problems with anger and depression. As a teen, I lapsed into addiction and suicidal obsession. I went from being an A student to being a D student, and I developed crushes on coaches and teachers, female coaches and teachers. This was in the 1960s, and I felt enormous shame and knew that I desperately needed help, but was unable to talk with anyone. Finally, in desperation, I went to my church youth group. My youth pastor, instead of helping me, offered to smoke marijuana with our youth group. I knew that this was not help, and I left the church, turned away from God, and became an angry atheist. I had my first lesbian sexual experience in a small Christian college while drunk. In spite of my depression, alcohol addiction, and suicidal thinking, I was deeply ashamed of my first lesbian encounter. I sought counseling help for suicide and addiction and was told that I was born homosexual. I embraced this because it made it easier for me to live my lesbian life. But the misery of my life never went away. It only got worse. Seven counselors over a 20-year period in the 1980s and 90s told me that I was born that way. Finally, at the age of 40, while on suicide watch again, Even the therapist who helped me begin to face the sexual abuse that I suffered as a child declared that I was a lesbian, that that's who I was, and that I could not change. During the same years, I sought out 12-step programs for addiction. They were my church, and the 12-step higher power concept was tailor-made for my atheist self-centered life. I got dry, and the fellowship kept me from killing myself, but not from suffering the unhappiness of a prodigal life. The same born that way belief was stronger there and it helped prevent me from questioning my lesbian identity. I clung to it because it was the easiest thing to do. I blamed my genes and it was never my fault and I was never held accountable for my choices or the enormous harm that I was doing to myself and others. I immersed myself in the queer world. I became an activist, lesbian, atheist, and completely embraced the LGBTQ life. I moved to the most queer-friendly part of the country. I dragged my lesbian partner to work functions and demanded partner benefits. I worked for queer marriage. I rode motorcycles with my lesbian partner in pride parades. I had a lesbian business helping lesbians hook up. I completely surrounded myself with queers that all believed we were born that way, but the misery never left. Successful long-term sobriety and lesbian relationships did not bring peace or remove my deep-seated shame. I continued to have serious problems with depression, but never considered challenging the born that way belief. I lived as a permanent victim battling depression and blaming everyone and everything else outside myself for my misery and the painful lesbian life that I had created. In the words of the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, I remained constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. In 2007, God brought three very painful, life-changing events to me that were the beginning of breaking out of the prodigal prison that I had made for myself. My lesbian partner at the time dumped me, and I was alone again. I lost my job and was unemployed and facing immediate serious financial difficulties, but by far the most painful event was that my dad died. As many abuse sufferers do, I had blamed my father for not protecting me from the abuse, even though there was no way that he could have known about it or protected me from it. Suddenly, I had no one left to blame. I was forced to begin to look at myself. I was suffering enormous shame, guilt, and grief. I began to go to a grief counseling group and then another 12-step program, Adult Children of Alcoholics. I began for the very first time to honestly look at my childhood. I began to question whether I was really born that way. And I was forced to admit that I was not. It was a lie that I had been told over and over, and I had chosen to believe it. I had made every choice that led me to the pain of my lesbian life. I began a two-year journey looking for answers. My parents had been divorced for many years by this time, but my mother was a devout Christian. And because of my chosen lesbian atheist life, I had spent years of no contact with her. But my mother, in truth, was the only person in my life who loved me enough to be honest with me. She told me that she loved me, but that the way I was living was wrong. And I hated it for hated her for it, and I punished her for it. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that she was right. For the first time in most of 35 years, I went back to church. I started with the church of my childhood. The entire choir was queer, so I knew that probably wasn't the right place for me to be. I went through every major denomination and they all embraced and enabled homosexuality. That was not what I needed. I was still enmeshed in the lesbian world that I had created, but I slowly began to extricate myself. God continued to lead me, and I finally found a Bible-believing church that talked about the sin of homosexuality. That was what I needed to hear desperately. Finally, in 2009, after a lifetime of depression, shame, and misery, God gave me another opportunity to hear the truth. God led me to witness, alone in a dark movie theater, the story of a man freed from alcoholism, drug addiction, and suicide through the power of Jesus Christ. I knew instantly that Jesus Christ could free me from homosexuality. I got down on my knees in that theater, crying my eyes out, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, heal me and forgive me, and he did. I was freed immediately from all homosexual desire and given the power to leave my lesbian life and called to tell the truth about the sin of homosexuality. Jesus made me a new person in that instant. I was baptized in my new church in 2010 and began sharing my testimony wherever I could. I was able to spend time with my mother and share with her the healing that I know her prayers helped bring about. I was able to thank her for never giving up on me and always telling me the truth that homosexuality was not who I was, but a sin and wrong. I know her prayers are a big part of why I'm here today. We were able to have some beautiful healing time together before she went to be with the Lord in 2012. To all the Christians here today who have family or friends trapped in the sinful homosexual world, don't ever stop praying for them. And don't ever stop telling them that you love them, but that what they're doing is wrong. However you can do that. There is enormous hope My mom prayed for me for a lifetime, and finally, when I was in my 50s and had felt enough pain, God was able to reach me and heal me. We are all born sinners, but no one is born homosexual. I'd like to close with my favorite verse Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. For the last 10 years, I have been a born-again Christian, ex-lesbian, through the grace of God and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus heals, and there are thousands of people just like me. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Robin. Uh, So, Robin, you started coming to Meadowbrook in October. August or august of yeah last August yep yeah. and um, just it's interesting, so I was introduced to Robin uh, Brady, who's coming next week to share uh, you'll hear more about that, but he we met because he got he he picked up our cat and uh, friends on facebook I don't know how I mean, he doesn't know either somehow we we're friends on Facebook, even though we lived two different states and uh and so I found out about Brady. He's speaking all over the place and a similar story, but different. And so he's going to share ne- next week. And, uh, and so I thought, man, you know, I want Meadowbrook to hear you know, your story. And so we will make the, the book changed available next week for anybody who's interested. Um, but just re- can you reiterate again, how many years were you in the LGBTQ community?
2: For most of 35
1: years. Yeah. And that's a lifetime. And then, and how long have you been a follower of Jesus?
2: I have been uh, 10 years. And I would not trade my worst day as a born again Christian for my absolute best day as a lesbian. Yeah. No contest. Yeah.
1: And so, uh, you know, you, you spent most of those 35 years, you know, it sounds like with a partner or somebody in your life. Uh, how uh, are you single today? I am. And as a single uh, person, single female, you still, you still battle with loneliness? I mean, like how, how?
2: No, I don't. One of the things that happened when I got saved, and I'm coming from a 12-step background, and sponsorship is a very important thing in the 12-step world, I discovered that Jesus was my sponsor. Yeah. And that has made all the difference in the world. Yeah.
1: Oh, so I didn't know that. That's what she was going to say in the first service. I thought that was so. I mean, that's so cool so interesting. In light of what I talked about last last Sunday, oh, you know, uh, when Habakkuk was anticipating this judgment that was coming upon Judah, and he said, "Rottenness filled, filled his bones. He could barely stand." But his resting in who God, in God's character and the sovereignty of God. Was what planted him on solid ground and and firm a firm firm foundation and so it was just interesting to hear you say that even I, I just didn't know you were going to say that in the first service so I thought I kind of figured you would say it again if I asked the same question so <laughs> hey Robin is available uh, after the service feel free to come up to her talk to her encourage her if you have questions ask her she is an open book and she's been so helpful in helping me think through some of these things as well. Um, but uh, but yeah so she'll hang out and be available to just to just chit chat with you. Uh, she also is a part of Meadowbrook. She is part of our church family and so she'll be here next week or you know if she's not sick and come down with the plague like half of the church it seems like. I'm going to pray. Father thank you so much for everyone in this room. Thank you for the gospel. It has the power to transform and to redeem and uh, simply because the Jesus lived the life we could never live and And he died this death that we all deserved. And he rose on the third day, conquering death. And that our identity can be found in him. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. That everything about us that makes us human is good. And uh, the world would have us to believe that our flaws and our brokenness is what makes us human. That's not what makes us human. What makes us human is that we bear your image. And for that, God, we thank you. And thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.